Dear listener, welcome to your favorite New Life program. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mahangi. Msavi Mtesh is on standby with the health segment. Today, she will talk about typhoid fever. Thereafter, Brother Steve Rund will be joining us during the Bible segment to talk about effective stewardship in a growing setting. But first, let us listen to Christ Loyal Squire with the song Ipo Siku. Yes, you are good. I am 
Welcome back, dear listener. It is now time for the health segment with Msavim Tesh. Hello, listener. Welcome to our program, Health Nuggets. I am your presenter, Musavi Muteshi. Our topic is typhoid fever. We like to think that the water we use for cleaning and drinking is pure, one of the gifts God has given us to maintain our health. Unfortunately, at times, we are in danger of developing diseases from contamination of that precious gift. Today, I would like to talk about typhoid fever, an infection caused by a germ, the typhoid bacterium, that spreads to us through contaminated water and food or through our close contact with someone who is already infected. Typhoid fever is a serious threat worldwide. Devastating plagues of the diseases are documented as early as 400 BC and today more than 21 million people become infected every year, especially in developing countries such as India and the countries of Southeast Asia, Africa and South America. Children are at greater risk of becoming infected than our adults, although their symptoms are generally more mild than the symptoms seen in adults. The typhoid bacterium is passed through the feces and sometimes the urine of infected people. If someone who is infected with typhoid fails to wash their hands carefully after using the toilet, and if they then handle or prepare the food you eat, you can become infected. You can also become infected by drinking typhoid-contaminated water. Early symptoms of a typhoid infection include a high fever, headache, pain in your abdomen, and either constipation or diarrhea. If you're not treated early, you will develop a rash of small, flat, rose-colored spots on your lower chest or upper abdomen during the second week of infection. The rash usually disappears in two to five days, but if you still haven't gotten treatment, you will enter a stage by the third week in which you become very sick. You will continue to have a high fever and your abdomen will become extremely distended. Your level of consciousness will decrease and you will lie motionless and exhausted with your eyes half closed in what is known as a typhoid state. Life-threatening complications often develop if you deteriorate to this point. Those complications include bleeding from your bowel. Bleeding is often marked by a sudden drop in blood pressure followed by the appearance of blood in your stool. Additionally, about 5% of people with typhoid fever will develop a hole in their bowl that allows their bowel contents to spill into their abdomen, causing severe abdomen pain, nausea and vomiting. The bloodstream can then become infected, creating a life-threatening emergency that requires immediate life-saving hospitalization. Other less common complications include inflammation of your heart muscle, your spine, and the membranes and fluid that are surround your brain and spinal cord. 
Antibiotics are the only effective treatment for typhoid fever. You will need to drink lots of fluids while the antibiotics do their work in order to replace the fluids you have lost during the prolonged fever and diarrhea. You may even need hospitalization to receive fluids by vein. Most people who are properly treated with antibiotics and fluids improve within a few days and only a small percentage of patients die of the complications of infection. Many of us don't realize that even after appropriate treatment with antibiotics and fluids, a small number of people who have apparently recovered from typhoid fever continue to grow the typhoid bacterium in their body for years. They no longer have symptoms, so they are not even aware that they continue to shed the typhoid bacteria in their feces, possibly spreading the disease to those around them. These people become carriers of the disease. The most famous carrier in history was known as Typhoid Mary, a cook in New York who was documented to have spread typhoid fever to 53 other people. How can you protect yourself against developing typhoid fever? Vaccines are only partially effective. Frequent hand washing is the best way to avoid becoming infected. Wash your hands thoroughly with hot, soapy water, especially after using the toilet and before preparing or eating food. Additionally, the water in places where typhoid fever is a problem may be contaminated, so avoid drinking untreated water if you are in one of those areas. Drink only bottled water or carbonated beverages. Use bottled water even when you brush your teeth and try not to swallow water in the shower. Wipe the outside of all cans and bottles before you open them and ask for drinks without ice. Carbonated beverages are safer to drink as a refreshment than non-carbonated beverages. Eating steaming hot food is safer than food that was stored or served at room temperature. Eat only fruits and vegetables that have been cooked or ones that you can peel. Raw fruits and vegetables may have been washed in contaminated water. How can you keep from infecting others if you had typhoid fever? Wash your hands often. This is the single most important thing you can do to keep from spreading the infection. Use plenty of hot soapy water and scrub thoroughly for at least 30 seconds, especially after using the toilet and before contact with food. Also, avoid preparing food for others until your doctor can test to be sure you no longer carry and shed the typhoid bacterium. Items in your home, such as toilet seats, door handles, telephone receivers and water faucets, can be a danger to others, so clean them daily with a household cleaner and paper towels or disposable cloths. And don't mix your towels, bed linen and utensils with those of others. In many developing countries, safe drinking water, improved sanitation and adequate medical care are goals that are hard to achieve. Be sure that what you eat, drink and touch, as well as things you serve others, have been washed. Health Nuggets is written by Dr. Richard Uckel, a medical doctor working in the United States. The medical views expressed in this program are his and may differ for your particular health needs. If you need medical advice, please consult a medical professional in your area. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, dear listener, and I hope that you're enjoying the program. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. For your views, comments, or questions about the show, you can write to the producer, 
Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, Code 001 Nairobi, Kenya. Or email us through awr nairobi at ek.adventist.org. Let us now have an item from Christ Lowell Square entitled Garama Yokumbozi. Oh, oh, oh. 
It is now time for the Bible segment. Join me as I invite Brother Steve Rundu. Welcome, Brother. Effective stewardship in a group setting. Our key text comes from the book of Exodus 37 verses 1 to 29. I will read excerpts of it. I will read where it talks about the ark in verses 1. Bezalel made an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out, and made a gold molding around it. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other, that he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, and he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. I will jump to verses 10 where he talks about the table. Now they made the table of acacia wood two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Then they overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They also made around it a rim and a handbreadth. Wide and put a gold molding on the rim. They cast four gold rings for the table and fastened them to the four corners, where the four legs were. We'll jump to verse 17 where it talks about the lampstand. And God says, They made the lampstand of pure gold and hammered it out, bears and shaft its floor like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with it. Six branches extended from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. I will go to verses 25 where it talks about the altar of incense. They made the altar of incense out of acacia wood. It was square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it, they overlaid the top, and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They made two gold rings below the molding, two opposite sides, to hold the poles used to carry it. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. They also made the sacred anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense, the work of a perfumer. I hope you realize the use of the word they in making all these things that the Lord had told them to do. There is... See how effective leadership within a group setting brings 
its own set of considerations and challenges. I believe that it necessitates humility and foresight on the part of leadership. The humility and foresight it takes to make room for delegation and diversification. In the words of author and CEO John D. Beckett, he says that Moses brought men and women alongside who were equipped with exceptional skills, people who could rise to the occasion and shoulder large responsibilities. One was Bezalel. This choice servant helps us see how God imparts creativity and skills in the arts, trades, design, architecture, and engineering. Moses recognized that Bezalel was chosen by God and assigned him to oversee construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness as well as its furnishings. An important assignment indeed for this was to be the place where God's own presence would dwell. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. This we find in verses 3 and 5 in Exodus chapter 31. What employer wouldn't want people with Bezalel's skill in the organization? Well, think about that. And those skills extended beyond his craftsmanship ability to his capacity to mobilize and train others. Bezalel didn't build the tabernacle by himself alone, no. The Bible says they. The Lord appointed a right hand also, a man called Ohalieb, to help him. In addition, he developed a team of another skilled craftsman. And God has given both Bezalel and Ohalieb the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as master craftsmen and designers. This we find in Exodus chapter 35 verses 34 and 35. It is good to know that while God gave these others craftsmen skills, they still needed training. We likewise do well to recognize where God has gifted a person, but we must also be intentional in helping them build on their God-given gifts. No doubt, these other craftsmen not only brought a variety of skills to their work, but also a variety of temperaments. Whether a sports team, or a military unit, or a marching band, building a good team involves bringing together people with different skills and temperaments to work toward a common goal. This variety is an asset, not a liability, as long as the team functions with mutual respect and a desire to learn from and support each other, it is well okay. Why, we may ask, might a variety of temperaments be important on a team? A simple analogy might be the different wiring with, with which God, the master craftsman, has seen fit to equip the minds of men and women. As couples and as a larger working team, we simply work best that way, complementing one another, balancing different perspectives and harmonizing different efforts. Brethren, I ask you, I call upon you to think about the following points. How are you a part of a team, either at work or at church or at home or in social activities or in your relationships? Secondly, what do you bring to the team that is uniquely yours? Well, answer yourself that question. Thirdly, write your team as to how effectively the talents of each person are being used within the group. How might you bring about more effective stewardship of others' talents? Let us pray to God that he might make us good stewards even in the group settings. He might be able to make us humble 
so that we can be able to be better leaders in our group settings. Because the humility and foresight it takes to make room for delegation and diversification is more than we can be able to give. Only God can impart it on us. Let us pray. O Lord, my Father in heaven, use me to model good stewardship of my own talents. By doing so, may my team function better for your glory, Lord. I also do ask you that you may humble me and give me the humility and foresight that is needed to make room for delegation and for the diversification of a team that I am working within. Lord, make me even a better craftsman. Make me sharper in my skills, sharpen my, my talents, Lord. Make me humble so that we can harmonize our different skills in our units of work, O oh Lord. I have prayed all this, trusting and believing in the mighty name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear listener, we have come to the end of our program. Thank you for keeping me company. For your views, comments, or questions about the show, write to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00109Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awrnairobi at Until next time, may our God be with you. I have been a presenter, Samuel Mangi.